We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. The CV, CV Report. TPS report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> Sucky. Yeah. <laughs> Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk about a wide variety of things affecting vets. We'll start off on Capitol Hill, where legislators are giving vets a six-pack. No, not quite, Phil. But we do have six bills that passed yesterday. Eh, Not quite as much fun. We'll hear about an opportunity to go on a bike ride with President Bush. A hundred kilometer mountain bike ride. No, I'd like to go on the 10 block mountain bike ride. (laughs) And author Steve Snyder will take us back to the year 1944, where we'll hear the story of how a German fighter shot down his dad's B-17 bomber. He brought out his logbook that uh, he had written in, in in his entry on February 8th of 1944, where he wrote that his plane was shot up and he had to bail out. And the unlikely friendship decades later between the author and the German pilot who almost killed his dad. Hans was part of my dad's life, part of my dad's story, so I really felt a personal uh, connection with him. That's all on tap on this episode of the CV Report. All right, first up with some veteran news headlines is my colleague and reporter on Capitol Hill, Miss Abby Bennett. How are you, Abby? I'm good, Phil. How are you? I'm good, and I'm excited because you told me that uh, Capitol Hill has a six-pack for everybody, and, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm down. So uh, just go ahead, put mine in the fridge. No, not quite, Phil. But we do have six bills that passed yesterday, passed out of the House, actually. Okay, okay. They are definitely some interesting bills that could really make a difference for certain um, veteran populations. We can start off with the an expansion of a program to provide really catastrophically wounded veterans with additional money to use to renovate their homes. Um, the way it is now, a veteran who's wounded maybe is an amputee and needs money to renovate his home to widen doorways for um wheelchairs or to change the shower setup, basically to make his house a home, has a set amount of money that he can use to do that. But the problem is not everybody stays in one house their whole life. And so this bill expands that program to give veterans 
additional money, it bumps the amount by 15%, but also the veterans can use that money every 10 years, which is the average amount of time that Americans live in a home before moving. So that's a really big one. Sure, you're in your townhouse with your little ones, and then you move up to the single family by the time they get into like elementary school or middle school. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And that's the one I saw, the Wounded Warrior Project. Yes, they were a big part of pushing that legislation because... um, one of their staff members, Captain Ryan Cools, um, lost an arm and a leg in an IED blast. And he actually, when his family grew and he and his wife wanted a different home, they actually had to pay out of pocket for the for the thousands in, of dollars in renovations to just to make that home livable for him. Um, you know, because they wanted to have a family and their original home that they used the first grant for just wasn't big enough to accommodate that family anymore. And so Captain Cools wanted to prevent that from happening to any other veterans like him. He wanted to make sure that plan or that program was expanded for those other veterans. Nice. All right. Well, it sounds like a job well done. That moves over to the Senate side. What else you got? So we've also got a bill that requires the VA to offer some of its most important information materials that help veterans access their benefits in both Spanish and Tagalog, because we have areas with a big concentration of veterans who speak both of those languages. And right now, the VA doesn't offer their materials in those other languages. They're only available in English. Hmm. And so this could really help open up the door for veterans to better understand what they're eligible for and better understand how to get the care that they need. I'm sure very valuable in Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and uh, uh, Florida, for sure. Absolutely. And in addition to these other bills, we've also got another one that would actually create a partnership between the VA and the Department of Energy, which has access to incredible technology, five of the top 10 supercomputers in the world um, that the VA can now use if this bill passes to try to improve veteran care, you know, to do better research on things like traumatic brain injuries and post-traumatic stress. And the Department of Energy also gets access to a bunch of new data to help make its supercomputers better. Um, And of course, all of this data is information that veterans have voluntarily shared Mm. with VA as part of what's called the Million Veterans Program. Wow. Government supercomputers. Just think they could finally maybe start making the GI Bill payments for, uh, you know, <laughs> returning veterans going to school. You know, they could finally start paying their housing payments on time. Amazing. All right. What else? The Women's Health Transition Training Pilot Program, which is a program that is being put in place that will help specifically women veterans transition out of service and teach them about what they are entitled to with their benefits, how to access those, because the statistics unfortunately show that women veterans are the least likely group of veterans to seek care at the VA and are the least likely group of veterans to receive any of their benefits. And the last one to round us out, we also have the Legion Act, which basically is legislation to help determine the requirements for membership in the American Legion, because there's a lot of interest and buzz on Capitol Hill and among VSOs about expanding the American Legion membership to more veterans and to make it a more inclusive community. Well, I've seen their powers, and this isn't to say one is greater than the other because I love all the VSOs as a veteran equally, but I have to say I've been flat out impressed when the American Legion stormed the Hill uh, my first year here. Was it 2017? And I saw what they were doing 
just in lobbying for cannabis, which is still an uphill climb, right? I mean, (laughs) that fight's still going on. We could talk about that all day. But they were, you know, these VSOs were a tremendous force. And I think that that's maybe what not enough veterans consider. So should this get through the Senate, which I'm sure it will, um, opening that door, opening that window of opportunity for veterans to be part of this VSO, just another great way to stay engaged, to stay involved in a tribe and, uh, you know, make your voice heard. Because on Capitol Hill, you need to be heard. Absolutely. All right. Abby, thank you for bringing me a six pack. (laughs) You're welcome, Phil. Now, I want to also talk about uh, the other opportunity that veterans have, and that's to go on what? A bicycle ride with President Bush? Sign me up. I so want to do that. (laughs) Yes, it's a hundred kilometer mountain bike ride. So it seems like it might be a lot. Say that again. A hundred kilometer mountain bike ride. No, I'd like to go on the 10-block mountain bike ride that begins here and ends at, uh, you know, uh, uh, O'Shaughnessy's down the block where I can get a pint when we're done. No, tell me about this. So this is basically for service members who have been injured in the global war on terror. Wounded warriors are invited to join the president on a strenuous ride later this year on his ranch in Crawford, Texas. It's called the W100K. And the bike ride is going to happen on November 8th and 9th. To be considered for the ride, applicants have to have been wounded or injured in post-9-11 service. The wounds can be visible or invisible, active duty, retired, or honorably discharged, and be an intermediate to advanced mountain bike riding. So you don't have to have a lot of experience to be a part of the bike ride, but you might want a little bit just because it's so long. All right, and just in case you wanted to know... 100 kilometers, that's 62.13 miles. Oh boy, it's too much for me. (laughs) It's too much for me, but I'm glad President Bush still gets after it and always glad to see. He's got a commitment to veterans that that is just unwavering. Through the Bush Institute, he's got the Stand to Veteran Leadership Program, which focuses on helping military families uh, transition to civilian life. I see him each year uh, in the D.C. area as he does a salute to military golf. And he gets out there and golfs with the wounded warriors. I think he has his own golf tournament um, down there in Texas. Just, just amazing dedication to the veterans and one hell of a guy. Rock well, on. and what a what a once in a lifetime opportunity. And just so you guys know, applications are open through July thirty first. So got to put it in now. Nice. All right. Well, tip of the cap to all the vets. And certainly, President George Bush still biking 60-some miles. I hope I'm in that good of shape when I'm his age. Right on. Abby, always great. Thank you for bringing me these fine stories. Thank you, Phil. All right, our next guest on the CV Report is going to take us back in time, back to the year 1944. And before we meet the author, I just I want to share with you a little bit, a little bit from the synopsis here that I read that really inspired me to want to talk more about this incredible book. It's an Amazon number one bestseller and a recipient of more than 25 national book awards, but shot down the true story of pilot Howard Snyder and the crew of the B-17 Susan Ruth. Uh, really compelling. Set within the framework of World War II in Europe, it recounts the dramatic experience of each member of a 10-man B-17 bomber crew after their plane that was piloted by the author's father was knocked out of the sky by German fighters over the French-Belgian border on February 8th, 1944. Some men died, some were captured, and some became prisoners of war. 
Some men even evaded capture and were missing in action for months before making it back to England. Their individual stories and those of the courageous Belgian people who risked their lives to help them are all different and every single one remarkable. And here to share with us some of these stories and some insight into this incredible book is the author Steve Snyder. Welcome to the CB Report. Well, thanks a lot. I'm glad to be here. Man, I I think I just got the tip of the iceberg about this book, but uh, tell me a little bit about uh, about growing up with a dad like this. Did he share stories of his time in the service throughout your youth? Well, I knew the basics uh, while I was growing up. I knew he was a B-17 pilot. He was stationed in England with the 8th Air Force. His plane was named the Susan Ruth after my oldest sister, who was one year old at the time that he went overseas. And he flew bombing missions over Europe and uh on February 8th, 1944, his plane was shot down, and he was missing in action for seven months. Mm. But he evaded capture and uh, made it back to England and then in, then back home. Uh, but it wasn't until I retired till I really had the time to delve into my dad's war history in more detail. And like most World War II vets, he didn't talk a lot about the war until 1989. Uh, that year, uh, a memorial was erected in the little village of Mackinlaus, Belgium, just north of the French border. And my father and the three other living crew members at the time went over the, for the dedication. And there he was reunited with all these Belgian people that hit him from the Germans during the war. And he saw those, you know, revisited those homes where he was hidden. In. And that brought it all back. And he started talking about it after that. Were some of the same families still living in those homes, what, 40, 50, 60 years later? No, most of the people had uh, relocated from the the homes they were living in. The homes were still there, but other people were living in, in them. And uh, I've been in a number of those homes, uh, farmhouses uh, where my dad was hidden, been in rooms where he was hidden. And just, just talking about gives me chills to actually be, you know, in a spot my dad was in, you know, over 70 years ago during World War II. Wow, what an amazing story to pass down to your family, too, because I would imagine it's something that was never forgotten. I mean, what with your your mom, uh, the you know, his plane was named after his daughter. Uh, that had to be a crazy thing for both father, but for your family back home to live through, because as you'd said, for what, seven months, they thought he was gone. Yeah, and actually, my other sister was born when my dad was missing in action. So here my brother was back uh, in California uh, with a one-year-old daughter, uh, infant uh, baby daughter, not knowing if she'd ever see her husband again. Mm. I can only imagine wedding anniversaries were just epic events in your house. I mean, to be able to <laughs> celebrate the fact that they, you know, survived and made it together. Just a just a great story. Uh, the book is full of other great stories. Share with me, I don't know, just a little anecdote or a little clip of something that you can share from the book. Oh, gosh, uh, there's so much in it. It's just not about my dad, but it's about what happened to each member of the crew, because something different happened to each guy. A B-17 had a 10-man crew. Five of the crew made it back home, but five of them did not. So fortunately for me, my dad was uh, one of the five. Uh, and uh, as I said, after he came down, he was missing in action for, for seven months, but evaded capture. He was hidden by Belgian people for some of that time. And then he got tired of hiding. So he joined the French resistance and started sabotaging German convoys, which is pretty unbelievable. Now, why didn't he just keep trying to make his way home? I mean, throughout that process of hiding, I can understand when you first are, you know, down and you need to kind of get your bearings, you walk to maybe the closest town and then you kind of get, you know, hidden. As he found his way, as he was, uh, you know, clothed and fed by the locals, how come he didn't just try to jump into, I don't know, a, a truck or, a, you know, some kind of commercial vehicle? 
Well, Belgium was occupied by the Nazis at that time. So uh, it wasn't that easy. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the Gestapo was always on the lookout for, uh, for, downed, for downed airmen. Uh, normally, uh, when the underground came across downed airmen, they tried to get them back through to England through various escape routes uh, down into France, over the Pyrenees, into Spain, and then out through British-controlled Gibraltar. But something always went wrong trying to get my dad out. Either the networks were comp- compromised, you know, infiltrated, or people were, uh, partisans were killed, and uh, so they could never get him out. And I think that's why, one of the reasons why I got tired of hiding um, and decided to get back in the fight and join the French resistance and, and then fight against the Germans. Those people that hit my dad and other downed airmen were unbelievably brave because they risked their lives and the lives of their family and friends by aiding downed airmen. If the uh, Gestapo found out about it, they'd be arrested, tortured, and either shot or sent to concentration camps. And some of the Belgian people who helped my dad and his crew did meet that fate. Wow, sacrificed their very lives just to keep them alive. Yep. That, that's amazing. Mm. Uh, one of the, the unique things, though, during my uh, research and in writing the book is that I actually found the German Luftwaffe pilot that shot down my dad's plane. His name is Hans Berger. And fortunately for me, he became a translator after the war and speaks English. And he gave me some wonderful insight that's in the book about what it was like to go up against the 8th Air Force. Actually, the the gunners on my dad's plane shot Hans down at the same time. They actually shot each other down. He bailed out and made it through the war, and uh, we become friends. Uh, uh, in a couple months, I'm going over for the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Belgium and my dad's plane being shot down uh, in Belgium. And after that, I'm going to head over to Munich, Germany, where Hans lives. He's 95 years old now, and it'll probably be the last time or last opportunity I ever have to, to see him. So that that was really amazing. How is it that you were able to become friends with him? I mean, you know, if I were shot down by somebody or somebody had shot down a member of my family or been at odds on the opposite sides of a war, it would be personal. There would be, it it would be hard to bridge that and come together as a empathetic human being towards a man that was once considered the enemy. What was that experience like for you? Well, remember, they shot him down, too, so they shot, <laughs> they shot each other down. But uh, a couple things, you know, one, uh, Hans or those German pilots were pretty much just like the, the American airmen. You know, they were young guys. Hans was 20 years old. They were fighting for their country, to, uh, trying to do a job and trying to stay alive. Uh, Hans said it was unfortunate that, that they had to be shooting at each other, but you know that was was their, was their job. But I, I felt a personal connection to Hans because uh, World War II was the defining moment of my father's life, or probably any guy that fought during the, the war. And at one moment in history and time, Hans Berger's path crossed paths with my father, and you know it, it changed his his life. And so the Hans was part of my dad's life, part of my dad's story. So I really felt a personal uh, connection with him. Uh, that's just, uh, it, it brings chills knowing that like, yeah, so many generations ago and so many years have passed, yet you can find that emotional connection and, and become friends. And I just find it so amazing because in the context of the forever war that we're currently engaged in, it would be hard for me to see a member of, uh, you know, Islamic jihadist 
group, whether it's the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or whether it's ISIS, it would be hard for me to visualize two generations from now us having dialogue with those warfighters and with those terrorists and finding some sort of kinship. Well, that, that's probably true. That was uh, World War II was a much different uh, war than uh, you know, the conflicts and the, the war on terror that we're involved in now. Um, it was, you know, I, I wouldn't want to say it was more honorable. Uh, that's probably not the right word. But, uh, you, you know, back then you knew you were who you were fighting. You know, there were armies defending their countries. You know, it wasn't this, this terrorism like it like it is today. I think you're right. It would be pretty hard. Yeah. It'd be pretty hard to be friendly with them. Mm. And you say that this conversation, these conversations with Hans, all documented and all part of the book Shot Down. Correct. Uh, for the book, I actually interviewed him over the telephone and uh, through email. But in 2016, I, I went to Munich and uh, met with him personally. We had lunch. We had some Wiener Schnitzel and an Augustiner beer and went back to his apartment and uh, filmed an interview with him. I uh, hope to make a documentary about the, about the book. And when we were there, he goes, he, he said it was pretty amazing that here he was, you know, having lunch and, and meeting with the son of a pilot that he shot down. And he brought out his logbook that uh, he had written in, in in his entry on February 8th of 1944, where he wrote that he shot down a B-17 and, you know, he was, his plane was shot up and he had to bail out. So that, that was pretty neat, pretty neat stuff. Mm, amazing stuff, Steve. I'll, I'll just use the word over and over again, but this is really, <laughs> this, this has to be a compilation of just amazing stories. Uh, where can I find this? Basically everywhere I find books. Yeah, you know, most people buy uh, books on Amazon. Over 50% of all the books purchased are uh, bought on Amazon. Uh, any bookstore can order it uh, if, if they don't have it in stock. If anyone wants an autographed copy of my book, they can go to my website, my homepage of my website, which is Steve Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, author.com, and they can buy an autograph or order an autograph book. Right on. Well, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be adding this to their summer beach reading list. The incredible story of your father shot down. The true story of pilot Howard Snyder and the crew of the B-17 Susan Ruth. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, Steve. Well, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, World War II has happened a long time ago. It's faded in people's memory and uh, we can't let that happen. Uh, my little tagline uh, is that it is our duty to remember and that's uh, Really, my, my passion is to uh, keep this, uh, this memory alive and why I do what I do and going to air shows, promoting the book and book signings and making PowerPoint pre presentations around, around the country. Those guys, uh, in my opinion, were the greatest generation. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.